Hey, everyone. I'm excited for today's podcast. At Consulting for Contractors, we're all about leveraging the expertise and experience of our coaches for the betterment of our community. And today's episode is a great example of that. We have some Q&A with C4C coach Mike Kutunis of Homeworks Painting, and we're talking sales processes. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get into the questions. My name is Scott Lawler, and I'm a 35-year veteran of the painting industry where I've been part of growing several multi-million dollar painting companies. I have worn all the hats and have experienced everything you have experienced, are experiencing, or will experience. There is lots of chatter about getting to a million dollars, but what very few focus on is what it takes to blast through Death Valley and create the multi-million dollar company of your dreams. We don't focus on fads, tricks, or shortcuts. We focus on solid foundational business principles and data that deliver results. This is the Consulting for Contractors Beyond a Million Dollar Podcast. The first question is uh, on sales process. You know, what is a good sales process uh, pre-appointment, post-appointment? Um, what is what is the best process here? How do you do it? And how can you use these tools or processes to increase your close ratio? Mike, I'm interested in, um, you know, your process at Homeworks Painting. What do you do prior to the appointment or once the appointment's made? Once an appointment's made, we want to make sure that we set off good communication from the start. We use uh, youcanbookme.com at the appointment. We put all the information in there uh, from the customer, and uh, it has automations in there so that once the appointment is scheduled, you can now send follow-up emails or texts. And what we do is immediately we send a confirmation email. It confirms the appointment, the date, and the time, and it also sends some background information on the company about uh, what to expect when the estimator arrives. Here's uh, some some reviews that you can click on, whether it's Google reviews or or other websites. And uh, and then from there, we do uh, two reminders. We do a 48-hour email reminder and then a 24-hour text reminder. I do that partially for for selfish reasons, so that if there's somebody who doesn't show up, at least or, or has to cancel, they'll remember to cancel it. Um, mostly just to establish up, we haven't forgotten you. We're not going to be that stereotypical contractor who will set up an appointment and not show up or or forget or something like that. Yeah. Now, do you ask in your um questions in, in your questionnaire on you can book me do you ask them their communication preference whether it's phone text or email or do you ask texting permission um we used to uh we stopped doing that because we got bad at really following through on what that is we can usually tell with the person uh sometimes they will they will let us know if uh they don't do email very much or they would prefer a call uh beforehand that kind of a thing and you know sometimes you can kind of tell if it's if it's a if it's a baby boomer an older generation email in most cases I won't say all but in most cases they they would prefer a phone call usually if it's uh, someone younger um, you know maybe millennials prefer text messaging uh, so we kind of we don't necessarily ask it but that's part of the reason why we do texting and email so that depending on what their preference is they'll at least get one of those reminders. Yeah. Okay. So I make an appointment on, you can book me online on your website. 
um, or at, on occasion, someone might um, call in. But we're either way, we're going to make this appointment on You Can Book Me. You instantly send a, a, an invite and you send a second piece of marketing collateral, which is a little bit about your company. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And so already what we're doing here, and this is, you know, we, this is the model we um, coach on at C4C is you're already setting the stage that you're different. There's a communication process. You're, you're quick. There's automation here and yet not feeling too um, robotic, but you know, we're giving you a little information. So after that, prior to the appointment, what's your next touch and when is it? Uh, so on the way to the appointment, I always like to call or send a text to say that I'm on the way. So I will usually get in the car, get driving, and you know, if it's uh, 20 minutes out or 30 minutes out, I will typically call and just say, hey, I'm on the way. If they don't pick up, I will send them a quick text. I actually have a, a keyboard uh, shortcut on my phone that I just press a few letters and the phone pops up the text message that I want it to say, and I just fill in the person's name. Uh, so that I'm not sitting there texting and driving and, uh, and you know, let them know that, uh, someone's coming. Do you send any other, um, email or anything else about your company from be in between the moment they schedule the call and the moment you show up? First, we'll send the email that confirms their appointment. 20 minutes later, they get the real big email that gives all the background information on us, what to expect. Check out our reviews online, check out our website for pricing information that kind of a thing. Uh, but then two days prior, they get an email and then one day prior, they get a text. For those of you listening, there's several ways you could do this, but the easiest way or a very easy way is just in your um, scheduling program. We're, talk we're, we're preferring you can book me for a couple different reasons. There's Acuity. Calendly, I think is not the best one for this industry. I use it personally, but I, I don't have as many needs of bells and whistles. It's very simple, but uh, you can book me allows you to trigger these um, pre-appointment emails. Um, one that I really like is what they can expect in our, during our appointment. We want to condition the prospect or the, the, the customer that we're going to see that this is what's going to happen. This is how much time we need from them. This is how we're going to do the walkthrough. Um, this is, you know, we need their undivided attention. So just to kind of, um, get them prepared. No one else is probably doing that. And some of these people, um, don't often have contractors, um, doing this type of thing. Uh, it's not every day that you are, are having an estimator into your home. So they may or may not have ever had a good experience or been conditioned. And again, it's another touch to say, Hey, this is the way, um, our company behaves and what you can expect from us when you hire us. So it's, it's really setting you apart as a leader. And the other thing that, um, um, to Mike's point is anything you want to tell them like, Hey, check out our gallery or check out our reviews on Google, or here's a video about our process or anything that would add value. You can put that in there. Um, they may or may not have looked at it. Um, but for those that are interested in information and want, want that warm up, um, it's a good way to really introduce you to them. So yeah. Um, I, and sometimes uh, people will, it's one of the first things people will say to me when I walk through the door and they'll say, wow, you were really on top of communicating with us. And so I always pause and I go, sorry, is it a little too much? And I've never had anybody tell me that it's, that we're overdoing it. Um, 
but then they will usually nod and kind of say, oh, I get it. You know, it, you want to stay on top of the communication with the customers. And, and even some people recognize that it's an automation, but still, I think they appreciate the fact that uh, they don't have to worry about if we're going to show up or not. My preference is on a residential estimate that if you can get good enough with your estimating program on a tablet that you would present on the spot. Now, sometimes the job is bigger or you need some time or maybe time doesn't allow so you don't present and I know that Mike doesn't typically present on the spot and that's just his personal preference so um, either way once you deliver the estimate Mike what is the post estimate follow-up look like for you in terms of walking the actual estimate if it is not a very big job I, you know if it's like three bedrooms two bathrooms something like that and it's straightforward and just paint the walls and the ceilings and the trim and that kind of thing. I can usually give them a quote right there on the spot and I will. But like, for instance, this morning, I looked at a 6,000 square foot home and they wanted every inch of it painted. So it was not going to happen for me to walk everything, do all my counts and then sit down and put an estimate together. So they wanted it like different options of this and that and the other. So it was really something I wanted to sit down and do. But what I will do in some cases um, while I'm on the spot, if, if I can't get them an actual number, I will like talk numbers and just try to get a general sense of where they are in terms of their budget. I do have like some line items kind of pre-made in my paint scout program for certain room sizes with certain substrates so that I could look at a 15 by 15 room and say, it's going to cost X amount of dollars through your wall, ceilings, trim and doors. And then kind of extrapolate that and say, well, I don't have an exact number, but I think this job's going to cost somewhere between six to $7,000 or kind of, you know, go from there. But in terms of your question, uh, as far as the follow-up, um, once I actually do the estimate, if I email it out, the quote will send a text and an email. And uh, so that way I like the text feature because it makes sure that they get it. Sometimes with email, they can go into junk mail or spam or that kind of a thing. But I usually give it about two days if I don't hear back from the customer and then I will follow up with the customer and I'll do it by email as well using monday.com. And uh, I've got automation set up in there so that I can just click a button and it will send an email to the customer saying, hey, just following up, wanted to make sure you got it. Let me know if you have any questions. Within Monday, it will then send me a notification after I sent that follow-up when the next follow-up is due, which for us is typically about seven days later. Um, so then we'll do the second follow-up and just say something to the effect of circling back, wanted to see if you got it. And remember, this is if if we have not heard from them. Um, if, if they have been in communication with us since I sent the quote, whether they've called me or um, just acknowledged the fact that they've received the quote, I will update it in Monday, but I won't use the Monday automations. I will just do a normal email follow-up like usual and and go back and forth there. But we usually do about three follow-ups unless they are just not engaging with me. I'll email and say, hey, we're still waiting on this or we've got to push the timeline back. I usually do it via email, uh, but I can also with Monday tell if they did open or not open the quote. And certainly if it shows that they have not opened the quote, then I'm picking up the phone, giving them a call. We're using monday.com to send those follow-ups. And here's why. Um, you can send an automated follow-up through your estimating program for sure. Um, there's other ways you can send automations. But if you have an automation set up that's, say, 257, you know, I don't really care the number, 
those things typically go out and a lot of estimator salespeople are busy slash lazy sometimes, and they won't stop the automation. So um, sometimes, and it's not, it's very common that you have a extended conversation with someone, they add some questions, maybe a revision, or they even said they'd like to go forward. And maybe you went home for the day or didn't do anything about it. And the next morning they get another email that says, hey, I haven't heard from you. I'm going to close the file. And that tends to really amp up some people because they're like frustrated that they got this email, even though they've been engaging you. And so while a lot of people want to set it and forget it and just have automations and not touch anything, it's unrealistic. And especially if you're trying to have a personal sale. So that's why we um, have used these follow-up templates in monday.com where even though they're templated, you still have to trigger and send them based on where you're at in the sales cycle, because not every person needs the same pace of, of email. So, um, it's something to just keep in mind. And I also am a firm believer in phone call follow-up. It's really easy for me to blow off your email. In fact, I'm sometimes a lazy buyer and sometimes I want to buy what you're selling but I'm just struggling a little bit with the price. So I've already picked the contractor. It's you. I liked you. I want you. But man, I'm bummed out that it's that much money. And so I just kind of kicked the can a little bit. And because you send these emails, it's super easy for me to just blow you off. Now, if you call me and say, hey, Scott, we'd love to do this work. Why don't you, why don't you just say yes and let's get it scheduled? I'll probably go, okay, let's do it, right? So it's easy for me to blow off your email. It's not as easy for me to say no to the phone call. So especially those of you that have estimators, I would be definitely requiring my estimators to do phone call follow-ups. And while this is another topic, it's also a pre-engineered agreement that should be happening in your sales call that says, hey, I'm going to call. If at any time you know it's a no, would you just tell me so I can move on and stop bothering you? you know? So you kind of make that agreement to expect a phone call. Um, sometimes owners don't follow the best system because they're busy. Um, and so, but if I had an estimator, I'd definitely be making them follow up with a phone call. Um, I did have a question, Mike, going back to the, a takeoff section or the, the walkthrough. I love that you said you're giving some verbal pricing no matter what. And also if, if you caught what Mike's doing is he's ranging. So he's trying to get a reaction, trying to get a sense of if it's worth even writing up. So if they, if they, you know, their eyes rolled back in their head or something weird happens and they can talk about it and Mike can, you could just teat right up. That sounds like a number that you weren't expecting, or maybe, um, you could say something else like, Hey, have you heard some numbers different? And I, and then you can go into the sales process to sort of, you know, talk through what the differences are or, um, you know, your sales pitch, but Mike, if they say there's no way they're paying that amount of money or you guys are not on the same page, how often will you no bid or just say, Hey, I'm not going to write this up or what, you know, what, what do you, how often do you do that? And what do you say to the customer? Hasn't happened very often, um, a few occasions, but uh, in many cases, in the cases where there has been a, a big divide between the price that I'm going to put out there, the price that they are thinking of. And you can kind of see that uh, surprise on their face. 
in most cases, they'll still tell you, well, just go ahead and write it up and, and I'll take a look at it. And so I really, I, I, it's hard for me to say, well, it doesn't sound like you want me to, to work with me. So why should I do this? I don't want to come off um, selfish there. So I will go ahead and put it together. Um, but in the, in the cases where I, I, you know, I think back to, um, I think a time where I, I, I did a cabinet estimate and the openings and the doors and drawers, I was able to come up with a number real quick and say, it was, I think I was quoting something around like $8,000 for this particular kitchen. And I think they were, they were thinking like 3000 and I was just going, there's nothing in our process that can get me down to $3,000 for this. And, you know, you kind of saw it in their face, like, uh, that's not what we're just not going to do that. And I said, well, Hey, is it okay if we just don't move forward? It sounds like we're just not on the same page and that's not a problem. And I try to be as respectful as possible. And and they were, mm -hmm. they agreed with it and they were like, yeah, thank you for your time. And I have had, um, on the other side, um, this is Celine with Bruno painting where even though sometimes the in appointment was not as, uh, favorable as response as they'd hoped, um, because their estimates are detailed and thorough that it's kind of the cherry on the, on the Sunday, so to speak. So all this communication and all the professionalism, and then they get the estimate, and they're like, you know what? I wasn't thrilled with the price, but I, I'm convinced that you guys are the right company, and have and they've they've had some wins simply because they went ahead and submitted. So yeah, it's something that you have to just gauge uh, the right way to the right path. Um, is there a final email if if you're really getting no response? Some people um, would take the approach of yeah, I'm going to email them till they either die or tell me to you know, stop sending them emails. Um, not sure that's my favorite. That's not really my preference. I don't think myself. What, what do you do when you're not getting a response? There's no engagement. Do you send them a final, we're moving on type of thing? Or what do you say? Yeah. Um, typically it's three strikes and you're out for me. I don't, I don't follow up forever. That kind of a thing. Cause sometimes they might just block you and you know, you're just going to keep following up for, and you're not going to get anything out of it. But uh, I will put in there and saying, Hey, it's been a while since I've heard from you. Uh, would you mind letting me know if you've hired another contractor? Um, and if you, if you did, uh, that's okay. I just want to be able to close the loop on this during the actual appointment itself. I will say that to them and I'll say something to the effect of, uh, I, I know you're getting other estimates or they may even come to me and say, something like a, just to be fully transparent, we're getting other estimates. And I go, of course, that's not a problem. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, you know, if, if you decide on another contractor, um, just let me know. Uh, I always appreciate communication. I've taken the time to, to put this quote together at the very least. Uh, I would just love to know if, if you've, what direction you've moved in just so I can close the book on it and we can go our separate ways. Well, we are about halfway through this episode of the Beyond a Million Dollar podcast from Consulting for Contractors, and we still have some great content left for you. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to let you know about some resources that are available to you via the show notes. You'll find links to our website, social media outlets, and highlights of this show. You'll even be able to schedule a discovery call with Scott and our team to find out how consulting for contractors can help your contracting business. It's very low pressure. We'll ask you just a couple questions, see what your current situation is, and then get you started toward the contracting business of your dreams. The best part about it, it's completely free. 
So just click on the link in the show notes, or you can visit our website at www.consulting4contractors.com and reach out to us there. Again, that website is www.consulting4contractors.com. Now here's the remainder of the show. And what that also does is it keeps the line of communication open. It's not uncommon for a client to choose someone based on price and then be frustrated that they made that choice. So the next time, or even maybe this time, they're going to call you back and say, hey, can you come clean this up? Or, hey, you were out last time. I didn't pick you, but I wish I had. Would you please come look at the next yeah. my next project? So being respectful um, can pay off even if it's not today. Um, the other... I like what Mike's response was. I like the idea of a, I haven't heard back from you and I'm starting to feel like I'm being a little bit of a pest and I don't want to be that. So I'm going to close the file on my end. If something changes on your end, let me know. So that's not threatening. It's pretty much just, you know, basically you're acknowledging like, well, we're not, you're not engaging. And very often when the someone wants to use you, but they just have had circumstances, vacation, life that got in the way, that actually motivates them or shakes them up a little bit. Say, no, 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 no. Then you'll, so if they have been, um, ghosting you, that, that easy, very carefully crafted statement sometimes will trigger them and go, no, 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 don't close the file. No, no, I'm a buyer. I want, I want to be your customer. I just need some time or I've been meaning to call you or whatever. So sometimes that takeaway, like, Hey, you know, sounds like we're not going to do this. So I'm, I'm going to move on. Wish you, you know, wish you all the best type of thing can shake some people up and to, to the point where they will engage. So it's not like it's a threat, but sometimes we'll work, um, because it feels like you're, you're moving on and they's like, no, no, don't move on. I'm, 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 I'm interested. Right. It's yeah, sometimes it's it. that goodbye. Like uh, I'm, you're never going to see me again. And they go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm not done. So. Uh, yeah, it does trigger. A re- it finally, it does finally get a response. Sometimes, you know, and and I understand. It's a lot of our email boxes are so full these days. It's hard to stay on top of it, and so uh, some sometimes you got to push a little harder just to uh, get that, just to get some kind of response of I'm still thinking about it or something, you know. And then okay, well, we'll we'll keep going. Yeah, I think the takeaway here is to have a process and a system. Um, some sort of combination between automated, templated, and, um, you know, actual managed by you, but to have a sequence and a process that everyone gets, everyone follows, um, you know, we, we typically are working with growth minded contractors that are growing towards the million and beyond. And what we know is you're going to hire salespeople, um, and you're going to need them to follow a process. You know, you might get away with a different process, or you might be able to cheat the process, or you might just be able to get away with selling a lot of work because you're amazing. But when you hire a salesperson, they need a process. And I would develop the process now that you follow or that your whole company will follow. So you can have the results um, that you're you know expecting when you get to that point. Right. Another great question that we get a lot from people is KPIs or key performance indicators. Um, there's a lot of them that you could look at, but I want to talk between you and I, Mike, a little bit about what are the key performance indicators you're looking at? 
How are you tracking them? When do you look at them? You know, tell me a little bit about your process and, you know, what are you looking at and, and, and how are you getting these numbers? Um, there's several numbers that we, we track on a, um, at least on a monthly basis, some, uh, many of them on a weekly basis. Of course, it's leads we get, uh, the number of estimates we do, if they're a lead doesn't necessarily mean we book them into an appointment. So we kind of like to see what the percentage is of, uh, leads turn into actual, uh, appointments. Um, wins, losses, dollars, of course, revenue, the number of painters we're working, uh, every day, uh, what the average is since we use, uh, subcontractors as well. It's not as easy of a number to track as it would be if it was just all employees. So, um, I do talk to my subs a little bit and I don't, it's not super detailed, but I do get a feel for how many, uh, crew members they'll have on the job. Uh, cause some put three guys on it, some jobs, they may put more or less painters on it, just depending on, um, the size of the job. But we get an idea of, you know, what's the average number of, uh, painters I have, uh, every, every day, uh, working. Let's go back to leads. So you, you, you made an interesting statement that you're tracking leads to estimates. So why do you, why does it matter how many phone calls or leads as we're calling them don't convert? What's what, what, what is that? What, what information is, um, that communicating to you? Well, when I dig a little deeper, it's, it's finding out well, why did they not turn into an estimate? Is it because we have a job minimum and it was just somebody wanting to paint a door and it was just too small of a job? Is it their timeline and that they needed a, the job done within the next three days and we couldn't get to it fast enough? Uh, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, how many people we don't, because we're paying for those leads and I don't want to, I, I certainly want a good ROI on all of my marketing spending. So I want to be able to figure out, are we marketing to the wrong audience here? Is it just it, maybe a certain demographic, people who don't uh, n realize how long it takes to get a job done? Uh, it could be a lot of different things. Um, so just trying to figure out, it's more about figuring out why. And then if it's if it's reasons that we can tweak or a little change, maybe maybe hiring another estimator that would cut down on our number of lost leads. Maybe that's what we do. So it's a, it, yeah, it helps us figure out uh, if we're doing something that we could be fixing or if it's just something that we can't really help. Yeah. And this is something that um, a couple of years ago, um, I think maybe it was even three now, Mike noticed, um, I used to little joke with him a bit that um, I think they were booking the, the soonest that they were available to have to, to look at a job was, I think, approaching three weeks. And I, w I thought that was just way too long. Um, I know that there's a lot of philosophies, but I think um, there's a lot of things people are doing when they're looking at this information. They're like, well, first of all, I would say if I'm a person that really kind of wants something done pretty quickly, I mean, <laughs> that might be not fair. I don't know, but I, I'm not thinking that, that I'd like to see in three weeks. I'd like to see it probably tomorrow. So you know, the idea of, of availability. And then if you're three weeks booked out for appointments, I'm going to assume that you're booked out insane amount for work and I'm probably going to pass you by. Now, if you can't see me for three weeks, then hey, there's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do. But I do have clients that are stingy with their time. So they don't have a lot of openings or the, 
sometimes their appointments are taken up by crappy leads. So maybe there's a little bit you should be doing on prequal and go, hey, I saw that um, you've, you've requested an estimate and it looks like you just want a door painted, right? Or, or whatever. So there's some things you can do to open up your schedule a little bit. And in Mike's case, what he did was he hired another estimator because his, 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 his availability was, was getting to the point where it was a hindrance. Um, the other thing, um, this is sort of an aside, but I would always be available as best I could if someone needed something done last minute. Um, it's typically a lot of bravado that people say, well, I'm booked out, you know, months and months and I can't possibly, you know, help you. And this is ridiculous and you should know better and whatever. I'm like, well, I think the opposite. If someone has an issue that they have something that they consider urgent and I have capacity, it's a way for me to make premium dollar on my manpower. So now it depends on the size of your company, but when I was running, um, a larger company with uh, a lot of painters, I always kept a two-person crew unscheduled all year long. Because if you called and said, hey, I have a bridal shower, my painter didn't show up, and I need three rooms painted, can you help? Well, the first person to say yes is probably going to get that job without worrying too much about the price. You know, So right. um, I think when someone says... I need something done right away or how far are you booked out? I would never answer that question. I'd answer that question with a question. Well, of course we have lots of work. Why do you ask? Or was there something that you've heard or is there a timeline involved? Tell me more, you know? So if you just answer that question and you say, yeah, I'm booked out two months, that might be the end of the sales call. So I would, I would always, you know, follow up with a qualifying question there. Um, yeah, early on in my, uh, business, I remember feeling the pain of losing potential work with repeat customers um, or referrals where I'd be booked out you know, five, six weeks, and then you'd get that referral coming in and they're like, so-and-so told me to call you. They were really happy with the work you did. So, hey, I, I got to uh, get this job done in the next, you know, however many weeks did you get to it? And I'd go, oh, no, we're booked out. And you know, they move on and, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I really wanted to work with you. And it's like, it's a knife to the heart when you hear that. And so kind of like what you were saying, I, I learned, um, I didn't have the way you do in terms of just like a two man crew always available, but, um, in my schedule, I would build in what I call flex days. And they're basically, um, if I was booked out five weeks, I'd have openings of a day here or a day there. And it helped me one, if, especially in the spring and summer with the rainy day here or there, so that I, could stay on schedule and not have to keep bumping people back. Um, the other way I looked at it too was if it's always, it's always, it was always easier for me to call somebody and say, you know, I know we were going to start your job uh, next Wednesday, but actually I could start it, you know, a couple of days earlier. Would that work for you? If you didn't have anything to fill it in uh, with a last second request or something like that. So I always felt like people preferred to hear good news like that, that you could start their exterior project a few days earlier instead of a few days later and it actually kind of can catch them off guard in a good way yeah the other thing um that i would say is that people a lot of times have a first in first out mentality like oh no they were they were they signed before that person so i have to do them next yeah um i every time i get an acceptance 
unless there was already a predetermined, like I need this done by July 1st or something, I would always just say, hey, we've we've received your acceptance and we're looking to schedule you. And, and I would push them out farther than maybe I would think is reasonable and just in, you know, engage them with if that was an issue or not. Because if they're willing to wait two months and I'm booked out one month, then that frees up one month for someone else. So right. I would always push people um, out that don't have a timeline um, or, yeah, I need it done as soon as possible. Like, no, some people say, I don't really don't care. Get it done before it snows again. Or, you know, they don't have a timeline. If you say, if you say, hey, is this a uh, we've got you put, uh, scheduled, soft scheduled for a couple months from now, they're not going to think anything of it. So this idea of stacking your jobs just because that's when they were signed, I think it's something you should think about um, and figure out if that's your head trash and maybe not the customer's expectation because, you know, you're going to you're gonna be stuck if you don't have some gaps to um, squeeze in. Right. Uh, now, Mike, we talk, you talked a little bit about keeping track of your estimates to close ratios and dollars. Um, one thing I always recommend and I think you do do this, is um, I like to count number of estimates, but also the dollars, and then the number of closes, and also the dollars. And the reason why is that we want to also monitor how many dollars we close versus just how many numbers of estimates. Um, sometimes there's some information here that would be helpful. So if, if you're, for instance, uh, selling 40% of your jobs, but only 20% of your dollars, there's something there that you should dig into. So that tells me you're losing your big jobs. So maybe you're estimating um, your numbers are bloated. So as the job gets bigger and bigger, your your numbers get insane. We've seen that before. Or maybe um, as we're looking at today's economy, sometimes people are a little hesitant to spend ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on a paint job, but they might spend five or eight. So if you're giving them the twenty thousand dollar bid. It's a no, but knowing that information, you might chop up a bigger bid into several smaller, smaller bids would be helpful. So to understand the close ratio, both in number of estimates, but also dollars is really important to me. Um, and we see this, especially if you have estimators that are not, you know, yourself, not the owner, because, um, we need to look at a lot of different ways, uh, the data in a lot of different ways to see how they're doing, to make sure they're, you know, closing in the appropriate, um, number, anything to add there, Mike? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, for me, I don't know if it's a, I wouldn't say this is scientific, but I, I like my, I, I understand that my percentage of wins might be higher than my percentage of dollars. I usually like to keep them within about 5%, really no more than 10%. Mm. Um, and for the reason you just expressed, um, it's always going to be easier to close the $1,500 job than it is to close the $15,000 job. But if your percentages are are vastly different, if you're closing 50% of your jobs, but only winning 25% of your dollars, then it may speak to, yeah, are you overinflating your numbers? Do you need to check your production rates or how you're estimating? Or how is your sales presentation? Are you... Because... You, you probably do need to put in a little bit more of a presentation on a $15,000 contract versus a $1,500 contract. Um, somebody might be able to pull the trigger a little bit quicker on a smaller job. So um, it helps 
it helps me look at, well, what do we need to do a little differently um, and kind of look in the mirror and, and see what, what needs to be changed. The other thing you're talking about is your manpower, your head count. You're trying to count heads, which is, which is, I, I agree. Um, in, in our methodology, I would always recommend a projection, a budget. Some people hate the word budget, but it's difficult to know what you need to do and how many people you need to do it if you don't have a projection. It's like running a marathon without knowing where the course is. And if you're an athlete, especially if you're a runner, I'm not, but, um, you know, these, a runner knows the pace they need to be running at in order to complete the race and not, um, gas out and not complete the race. So if we're trying to complete a race, call your race 1.5 million, let's make it easy. 1.2 million. And you're, you're, you're a flat company. So a hundred thousand dollars every month, we can back that data and, and say how many, how many people, how many bodies, how many head count you need to produce that hundred thousand dollars. And then we can, we can back down one more and say, and at your close ratio and average job size, how many leads do you, do you need? So we talk a lot about the science of business and, and what Mike just said is, Hey, if I need to do a hundred thousand or you need to do 300,000 in a month, I, I don't really care what the number is. You, you'll need a certain um, uh, number of people. And if you don't have that head count, then you're, you're straight up not going to finish the race. Um, you're going to, you're going to miss the finish line by whatever you're short. So counting your manpower and your, you know, your productivity, you know, they're always going to lose some productivity to weather, to vacation, to illness. So you need to build that in, but you do need to make sure you have enough staff. And I would encourage most people to overstaff slightly so that they could always, um, accommodate for, you know, someone being terminated or quitting or, like we just said, the, the vacation seasons or the illness. Um, if you just plan for the perfect race, nothing's perfect. Never happened. Right. Nothing. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely need to prepare. I agree. You need to prepare, but it's, you got to find the kind of the right amount of over preparation. Um, certainly if you overstaff and your sales are not catching up with it, then you're going to be laying off people pretty quickly. So, um, but you, you do want to be careful, but I mean, I, I can't count how many times I've either had guys call out because they're sick, uh, flat tire, um, something they had to just take care of. And I mean, we offer PTO, so our guys do have time to take off. Um, but so we factor that into kind of our projections as you talked about with the budget as well. So, um, yeah, you, you just know, prepare for the unexpected. Another number I'm typically keeping a, a, a little bit of some, some, some attention to is your, is your gross profit. So we talked about revenue. That is literally the work that you got done. And, and, um, we've talked about, um, close ratio and lead flow. So you need enough leads at a certain close ratio to have enough work. So assuming you have enough work, I'm, I'm looking at the gross profit to say, Hey, did we get this done, uh, with enough money left over? Now you're going to have to determine what that number is from, for you. Um, I'll tell you that 50% is typically kind of nirvana, but under 40%, if you're a business with a significant amount of overhead, um, you're going to need to be probably at 40% above or else you're going to struggle, but you need to pay attention to your gross profit, whatever it is for you. You need to make your own. Don't, don't listen to some other person, but through the budgeting process, you'll be able to understand what your 
gross profit is and what it needs to be. And, and that would be another place that I would be always kind of keeping an eye on. Mike, is that something you monitor and how often do you look in at that? Oh, absolutely. Gross profit's probably the, if not the most important, one of the most important numbers we're checking. And typically, um, we're over 40. I'd love to be at 50%. We haven't, uh, last time I was there was probably when I was, um, just myself and like four painters and I had, uh, no overhead or I had, uh, I, I was kind of doing everything. Uh, but usually I'm, I'm around 40%. So, uh, we're pretty healthy in that sense. Uh, but yeah, if you, if it's something you want to keep track of, if we were something just as small as going down like five or 6% from that and getting down into the mid thirties could be a pretty, uh, a drastic drop and, and could really hurt our bottom line. And, and that, those, that money is typically what's coming out of your pocket. So you're going to still pay your expenses. Um, your, your overhead is not going to give you a holiday for payment. That money is just coming out of your pocket. So, um, I'd be looking at your gross profit, um, regularly, um, look for cycles, right? There's billing cycles sometimes that come into play, but you should be monitoring that every couple of weeks probably. Um, and then the, the next thing would be the expense section. Um, I don't find that most people really blow it in the expenses. That would be like, okay, we bought too many paper clips or whatever, but you do need to monitor it and you need to build that expense section to support your revenue. So what I find most people, if they don't have a good net profit is that they haven't achieved the revenue that they set out to. So you build a company or build a car, so to speak, to go fast, right? And if you're not going to go fast, then um, you didn't need to build that nice of a car and you don't need the overhead. So you need to make sure your expenses are in line with that and they can be adjusted. Um, most times if we are hitting our revenue targets at our gross profit, our expenses are in line, but not always the case. And especially I see people get very emotional about marketing spend and they, they, they get nervous about their lead flow. So they just goose it and spend a bunch of money and it gets way out of line. And it can be, it can be expensive and it can be, if you're not tracking your leads, it can be really, um, uh, you know, not helpful. You know, you're not getting anything for that spend. Mike, what, what do you think about the expense section? How do you monitor and how important do you think it is? Or, you know, where, how do you, how do you view? Oh, well, definitely. I've had certain times when, yeah, my expenses have been, um, not projected correctly, you know, where I, maybe spent a little bit more on marketing than I wanted to, or I, I think I've had a year or, or maybe a couple of years, um, where my vehicle expenses were, were much, were quite out of line. Now that's not going to kill me, but it certainly eats into that bottom line. Like you talked about, uh, where, um, I had, I can't remember what year it was, it was probably about 2016 or 2017, but I felt like I had a van in the shop like once a month and it was just different vans. And then it just was killing me at how much we were spending on fixing up these vans and it it made me realize i should you know sell a couple of them at least and and buy new ones or at least buy uh better conditioned uh, vans and so um yeah you definitely need to watch that and and how you're paying for whether it's your your staff um is that in line are you uh, are you overpaying for uh, your sales team or your project manager. Um, and if you are, then you better be doing a lot of revenue, but, um, definitely something to watch. 
And then, of course, I'm always looking at net profit. Is there, I'm looking for a total ROI. So is there money left over after everybody's been paid, depending on your corporate structure, whether you're taking a healthy salary or a salary at all, or if you're taking only draws, but you need to come up with a way to look at that. Um, are you making the kind of money that you expect to make for the risk involved with owning a business? Um, I don't think any business owner is in this for their for the fun of it. They're in it to make some money. And your threshold for what you need to take out of a business can vary depending on your season. And sometimes you might be in a building season where you're going to invest more into some things to grow and you might take a little bit less, but it needs to be available. You need to always run a sound business. What you do with that money, we can talk about, but it's never an excuse to not be have a sound um, business just, just because you don't need to take a bunch of money. You need the business to operate uh, in a way that you could take the money if you want to. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Mike, are you, do you have a, uh, some systems or some places that you kind of use to report this or to keep track of it? Or, you know, do you have, have any spreadsheets or, or, or what are you using to kind of track this? Um, first and foremost, I use, uh, monday.com to track all of my a lot of my kpis in terms of my leads and um my sales and that kind of thing um obviously quickbooks will show profit and loss numbers there so you know i can see what i'm spending in terms of my marketing or all of my expenses like we said a couple of minutes ago um but i also use to keep a, a scorecard uh for things such as leads per week um uh, revenue per week, uh, number of guys working every week, uh, that kind of a thing, uh, where, where we are with accounts receivable. And, um, so I kind of use more than one place to, to kind of keep track of all of that. Right. That's going to do it for us today. Hopefully some of this was helpful. Um, if we could help you with any of your KPIs or if your systems, let us know we're here to help and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Beyond a Million Dollar podcast. If anything you heard on the show today intrigued you, or if you're just interested in getting in touch with Scott, please visit the show notes. You can click on the discovery call link to get started. We'd love to find out more about you, your company, and how consulting for contractors can help you grow your business to a million dollars and beyond.